So I got a pretty cool episode for you all today. This past week, I had the pleasure of speaking with Dan Abella, who is the director for the 2023 New York Science Fiction Film Festival. So if you're in the New York area and you want to go ahead and check out a cool film festival that's coming up, this one is going to be taking place on Saturday, March 25th at the Producers Club Theaters in Manhattan. And there's going to be a virtual encore on Sunday, March 26th, which highlights the science fiction, horror, supernatural, and fantasy genres by presenting a groundbreaking and diverse array of films. If you want to know more about this cool event, you can check out the website www.newyorksci-fi-fest.com. This episode is packed with a lot of really cool information about the festival, things you may expect to experience as somebody who may be thinking about submitting their work to a film festival in the future, and um, just other really cool things. So, without wasting any more of your time, let's get into today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Generic Podcast, where we talk about everything horror, science fiction, sometimes fantasy. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have a really cool guest on the show for today. Uh, if you're in and around the New York area, go ahead and get some tickets for the New York Science Fiction Film Festival. Uh, today we have on the show the director, Dan. How are you doing today, man? Fantastic. Uh, great, uh, generic. I'm um, just uh, staying warm today. For those who are in New York City, this is uh, a bit of a cold, one of those chilly cold days that are best yeah. staying indoors. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a little it's a little different down here, and uh, I, I'm I live down in Texas, so, but I'm originally from uh, the the East Coast, and I watch yeah. the news every now and then, and I man, I do not miss all that all the mm-hmm. cold weather that's up there. But yeah, I, it's it's nice to uh, be able to have you on the show and talk a little bit about this the festival that you have going on and uh, what goes into that. I mean, because running running a festival like this, this is the the third one, right? That you've uh, yeah, this this is the third one. I've done other festivals, done other festivals, but this is the third New York Sci-Fi Festival. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what specifically led you to start doing festivals? Was it something that you just kind of fell into, or was it something where you started going to them and you were like, "I really want to start," you know, getting into this and getting the word out and everything? Well, I've always uh, I started out as a director. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've directed. Uh, like half a dozen shorts and a feature and some uh, webisodes and so on. So during that course, it occurred to me that uh, uh, New York was really uh, missing a community of sci-fi filmmakers. Uh, and believe it or not, up prior to 2017, there was no sci- New York sci-fi festival. You had the horror one and you yeah. had uh, the macabre festival in Long Island, but nothing de- devoted exclusively to sci-fi or even dealing with that so i mm-hmm. thought this would that it would be a good since other cities had it i thought it would be a good opportunity to um start one mm-hmm. so our first festival was very uh, modest 
but it gave me the impetus to uh, grow it. And uh, today we're this is the third year we're doing our festival, and we really uh, we've included the horror because we feel the horror and sci-fi really complement each other really nicely. Yeah, I mean, there's a there there's a lot of aspects I feel that when people start looking into the different kinds of genres and you get into horror and science fiction, I mean, by now, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's not a person in the world that has not, if they haven't watched it, they at least know uh, the movie alien. And I feel like movies like that, especially once you start getting into um, more like mainstream kind of stuff, that's a lot of people know about. And they, they take those two, uh, genres and really put them together and some people oh, yeah. are like oh like that's that is horror or oh like that that is science fiction and and yeah like what you're saying like that that bridge between the two is something that I think is growing more on people and uh, I'm not sure if the pandemic had something to do about it but I feel like there were a lot more people uh, you know now that are looking into those kinds of genres and they're like, I didn't realize that, you know, it, it goes this in depth. Like a, a lot of people that I used to talk to, you know, it's like when they talk about sci-fi, it's like the, the kind of like super kind of cheesy stuff. Like if you, I don't know if you've ever watched the movie, the stuff or yes, um, yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or green, Very green cheesy. slime and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And you know, like those, those movies are great, but. Well, that's, I, there's a whole category like those. Yeah. Yeah, would Type films are so bad so bad they're good <laughs> oh yeah yeah like planet nine from outer space oh and, that's a good one yeah yeah and then uh and so some of them are made specifically with that idea mm -hmm. they're extra cheese <laughs> they yeah. just and, and the it's, it's, it's so there's a there's a very specific genre that's associated with that mm -hmm. yes i think you're right uh in terms of the sci-fi horror genre you could say they're predator or alien, yeah. probably one of the first ones that it, that hybridized both horror and the sci-fi. Because prior to then, you had them in two different categories. Yeah, um, yeah, it was either you went for your slashers, or you were you were going to see uh, Star Wars or something. <laughs> you know, right, there wasn't right. there so wasn't much like, mix. Hey, alien came out in seventy nine. Is that right? Or eighty something? Uh, yeah, it was right. It was right around that time. I'm pretty. I'm pretty bad with dates. They kind of like meld together after a while. <laughs> I do remember that when ET came out. Uh, oh yeah. Shortly afterwards, and that, I think that was again. I think that had to be in the, in the early '80s. It was a horror film, a sci-fi mm -hmm. horror film called Extra. And oh you yeah. Ever seen that? Is not all aliens. And this is the, the logo. Is no, not all aliens are friendly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it definitely looked like one of those predator style aliens so yeah. Uh, yeah yeah there's definitely a nice uh uh, uh the two really horror is tends to be much more visceral mm -hmm. and, and which we which we need and then the sci-fi when done right when done it, well it, it's and because it's sci-fi hard is harder to do in general mm -hmm. because it does oh, yeah. call for more sci more special effects and but when it's done well it can, can really kind of a jumpstart our imagination. So when you combine the two, it's, it's, a, it's a really good uh, uh, ideal situation to have. So, so with all the, the history of films, you know, between the two genres, were there were like a, a few specific films that you saw when you were younger that really kind of just 
jumped out at you that were like, I really want to get involved in this and work in, in that industry in some way, shape or form? Or was it something that oh, you yeah, kind of came into later? I mean, I'm from the beginning, I can recall back some of the old sci-fi classics, which I saw on television. Mm-hmm. Uh, that are, you know, everything from Body Snatchers to Day the Earth Stood Still to The Fly, with the original one with Vincent Price. Yeah. Those are great films. I mean, and then, of course, then after that, you have that whole, the next wave, the 2001 wave, mm-hmm. which was much more heady, more of a trippy kind of sci-fi. And then you had the new uh, wave of films that came out I'm started by Star Wars, Star Trek, and what we have today. So, yes, yeah, I think that uh, sci-fi has always been really something that I held, held dear to my heart. Yeah. It's always been there. And I think it's no accident there are a lot of people that are influenced by sci-fi and, and, and in, in fact, make a career either as a scientist or as a writer or director in yeah. sci-fi. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing about the two genres is that like, so you have horror on one side where it's the fear of the unknown, right? And then you get into science fiction and it's the exploration of the unknown a lot of the times. And it's like, well, what would happen if, you know, A, B and C happened? Like, what what would the end result be? You know, looking back at some of the stuff that I grew up with, like I, man, I loved, I wasn't, I wasn't too much into Star Trek. I know my, my father was like an immense Trekkie, but if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have been introduced to Lost in Space, which is like, I mean, not the, I mean, I've seen the newer one too, but like the old one. Oh, wow. Uh, the the, the, the black and white one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some of the, I mean, there were cheesy episodes, but then some of the other episodes I had to like stop and and, and think about like, oh, like what if we had like went to a planet and like that actually happened? And, you know, then I got turned on to uh, other things like the the Twilight Zone and the Outer Limits and that all those kinds of um, shows. And yeah, all those films really, wow. I think they're, they're, they're become a treasure trove of, of mm-hmm. ideas for people who want to like, work on them and, and update them. You know? A lot of those Twilight Zone, Bot and Variety, mm-hmm. I think you can still catch on television these days. Uh, yeah. They're uh, they're amazing. They're really well developed and well thought of. And, um, uh, and it's really something I, I would like, I like to think of sci-fi as like the science of the future. Yeah. You know? And it's become, in the last few years, especially since the pandemic, I think that there's, and more and more people will be of the agreement that sci-fi and science are really almost aligned, almost fleshed with each other. I mean, there's the, the boundaries have really been pretty much blurred. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think those who are living and who watched a lot of sci-fi films are probably more easily adaptable to what's going on in today's technology. I mean, yeah. Everything from AI to singularity to the simulation and so on is like it's not an big deal i saw that already on so and such program years ago yeah it's weird in a sense i mean if you because i mean if you look at like the grand scheme of things it really hasn't been that long since we got cell phones and then we got smartphones right after that and now it's like we have applications where we can put in a little bit of information and it will write a paper for us or, you know, yeah. it'll, it'll write some different kinds of uh, code for like, like the, uh, I know it's like a big debate right now is the uh, legitimacy of, of AI art. 
and how that is really impacting stuff. And, you know, it's like you look at that kind of stuff and it's like, at what point will we be able to walk up to the microwave? And, you know, it's like in Star Trek. I think I, I can't remember what it's called. If it's like an atomizer or something like that, where they they type in what they want to eat or whatever, and it just materializes materializes like a cheeseburger and a, a milkshake or something. Oh, wow. or, yeah, you know, and it's, it's it's fascinating, really, to to see how all the different kinds of applications that people have thought of, you know, and all and you know anywhere from even the like the twenties. 20s and 30s and then all the way up until now and you always have people that are like that stuff is never going to happen and then you get the cell phone and they're like you know, I think what? <laughs> for those who are still working or still like having retired from the world so to speak yeah i think that it's important to really address like how these issues will change your life like mm-hmm. chat gpt there's i think a new version is just uh, dropping in the next day or two chat gpt4 Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, in the beginning, everybody was in love with it. Now they realize there's certain limitations. But nevertheless, there are going to be articles that have been, that will be written, are being written, yeah. basically by AI. I was reading that uh, some of these sci-fi magazines like Asimov and, uh, and others have actually put a hold because they're receiving so many articles that are not written by humans, but by, yeah. you know, AI. So that they're putting a hole and they have to basically come up with a new set of protocols to determine, well, which articles is a human one versus mm-hmm. one that, which makes no sense. I mean, if you're a sci-fi writer, what is the this idea of just, okay, I want you to write me an article on the app, you know, just either you like sci-fi, you write it or don't write it. It's just like, makes no sense whatsoever. I yeah. think I would figure sci-fi writers love writing and sharing with their uh, clients, but obviously there are always going to be people who just want to take advantage of that. So. Yeah, I, that's why I, I really recommend to anyone who is into, wants to know what the world's going to be like in five years from now to check a lot of sites, including the festivals, including mm-hmm. the films at our festival, because yeah. our films represent sort of a sneak preview into the near future. Um, yeah, and I think like one of the nice things, too, just looking at the diversity in the films that your, your festival is offering, you get a lot of different aspects from you know different groups of people and the fact that it is so diverse you're getting a lot of different uh social outlooks as well so i mean you could have you know it's like you have like the horror aspect where you have um like there's one film that you have that has uh three different films it's like a three different short films oh yes yeah so it's like you get stuff like that but then you also get stuff where you know, they're exploring uh, different kinds of planets and, you know, what kind of issues kind of rise there, you know, like your standard kind of sci-fi. But then some of the other stuff in between is just like, oh, okay, it's like I can totally see how somebody could kind of imagine that and and maybe that could actually happen. Or, you know, like what would happen if I was in that scenario? And, you know, depending on who was around you, how would you interact with everyone like that so i mean with those two genres especially you know because i feel like a lot more people are coming into the light as far as understanding how these two genres you know if you kind of look a little bit beyond of the the, the imaginative point 
you know, all these stories are showing a very specific point of view from somebody else. And it's all very much, you know, human driven. Like, what are, what are we worried about? What are we looking forward to? And, you know, where is life as a, as a whole in humanity? Like, where are we headed? And so when you look at all these different kinds of um, iterations of the different stories throughout history, we get a lot of that stuff now. So yeah, like, you know, <laughs> now it's like the you you know when you were talking about how you know these different places are kind of like putting a hold on getting all these different articles because the ai is writing it and you look at uh different kinds of like there was a there was a big uh conundrum i think it was either last week or the the week before where somebody had put out an ai animation and uh, they were like, oh, well, you know, like this is going to be like the anime of the future and everybody's going to love it. And people were like, no, like that, like AI is, is good for some things, but, you know, now it's it's like they want to use it for everything. And it's like, well, the, the whole point of writing sci-fi is to explore all the different possibilities there. Same thing with horror and the same thing really with, you know, whatever kind of creative medium people are working with. And so when you look at, you know, where we are now, it's almost strange in a way, because if you look at all the kinds of things that science fiction warns us about, and it's like, now we're kind of on that, that line where it's like, are you going to listen to all the warnings from science fiction and horror? Or are we going to go into that other direction where it's just like, you know, we want to be cautious of, of artificial intelligence and we want to be um, cautious of introducing different things into the world as far as uh, technology goes. So, yeah, uh, there is uh, there are, you know there are several films that we have in our festival that focus on what what's happening over will be happening really soon. Uh, one of them, for instance, is called Eos, Eosphere, just about a robot that takes basically becomes sort of a caretaker for a, a, a grief-stricken uh, man who loses his wife. And uh, and the the way it's introduced and the theme and the robot itself, you get a sense this is something that could definitely be taking place three or four or five years from now, the idea of a personalized caretaker. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, and that's something that I really see happening within five years. Already in Japan, for instance, uh, because of the declining uh, birth rate, yeah. the you see in these assistants that are you know, robots, basically. So I don't see that. I think in the next few, in the, in the next five or ten years, what what's already represented in this film, in Eosphere, will be reality. Now, on another, also related to what's going on in Japan, there's uh, another film called The Marin company uh now this is a company it was directed by a female from here from new york city the tri-state area mm -hmm. and she's definitely exploring the idea of exploitation but not of humans but of cybernetic systems or yeah. uh, sex androids that in the future will look feel and sound like a human being right and of course the question is uh, is this something that you should uh consider just it's always going to be a machine treat as a machine or is this something that maybe you need to think twice about? For instance, yeah. Saudi Arabia already granted citizenship to an AI system. Maybe this was more symbolic, but it goes to show you where we're heading to right. a, um, an AI woman, a female android, 
uh, manufactured by Hanson Robotics, and then mm -hmm. her name is Sophia. Yeah. And uh, she's the first uh, robot to receive a citizenship. So I wouldn't be surprised humans being humans that they become very um, enamored of their creations. Mm -hmm. And that includes robots that also that help them with their grief and also robots that provide other kinds of services. Yeah. So I mean, it's, uh, as I said, I, I really feel that right now is the time when we, those who are morally aware of the, you know, where, what, we're going to be, gonna be faced with a lot of choices it's important to look at something like sci-fi as a as kind of a dry run of what's gonna happen in the next five or ten years so it's no longer just in the realm of entertainment well it's never gonna happen you know I, that's just pure entertainment right. although you can see it as that you can also say well let's see let me think about this let's talk about it what if there was a what are the moral implications of having this and having that, you know? And, right. you, and, um, and I really feel that's really something that it, hopefully these kind of films encourage uh, discussion and conversation mm -hmm. and, and, and well, maybe at some point some sort of a ethical legislation or something because that's already happening. AI, especially information-based AI where you have articles and art and movies animations that are created by ai that's already it's already taking place yeah i mean that's kind of like if you it's it's a little bit of a different kind of uh, artificial intelligence but eat, like I, I was uh listening to somebody on tiktok and they they do uh voice narration uh, for audiobooks and one of the things that they were pointing out is how some of these companies have been building these databases and they're and they're taking all this information from people that submit these projects when they're done so they're sampling all their their voices right. and uh within that community there he was you know he was pointing out like our jobs might be in jeopardy in the next like you know in the same time frame that you're pointing out next like five ten years yeah. where you know people can just make a program that you'd be like oh do you want so-and-so to act this book out for you well we don't need to record them anymore we can just have the ai sound like whoever it is that you want to hear and so yeah it's like when you're looking at all these kinds of stuff i mean philip k dick wrote about this stuff a lot where you have that question of like well are they a living being um is it something that we should really consider the the opinion of or the or the voice of and you know you get into like that weird kind of nitty gritty stuff of you know like where where is this future taking us and I, I think that like the the thing with Sophia that's pretty interesting and I and and correct me if I'm wrong Sophia is the one that like people can sit down and have like a general conversation with right yep. she has, general yeah. chat with her. yeah, yeah. There, there, you can you can touch quite a good number of those of her uh, talks. And yeah. yeah, and she's got all the different like facial features and that's right. Different Sophia, yeah. different versions. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. So I I mean we're we're definitely getting there. And I think a lot of the the stuff that we're looking at now, like even with uh one of the other films that you have, uh Daniel Lasker uh is the director, the oh, signal. Oh yes, the signal. That's right. Yeah, that is one. <sighs> 
I, like every single time I see one of those articles, and of course they 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 know somebody like like you or me is going to click on it, you know, where they they have all those taglines and everything, uh, where they get you really excited about we found a signal in space and where could it where could it have been and who sent it and this that or the other thing and it's you know really it only when it comes down to it it only takes one of those signals for it to be like well how do we how do we treat this. And so, like looking at like films like that, it's just like, is it is going to take over or like what? Like what? Yeah, <laughs> what that's an interesting with? idea. Uh, that film was um, the and this particular trope actually the yeah. first time I remember hearing about it. I mean, it could be maybe other prior films. I think there was a Sundance film from Mappy yeah, five six years ago. Maybe it's a very similar name. I mean, it may not have been a signal from outer space. It might have been a signal from a telephone. Oh, okay. when everyone it came in it was it was transmitted through people's uh cell lines mm -hmm. and it drove people crazy uh but what i find this film interesting is it's first of all it, it's uh directed by daniel lasker mm -hmm. who was uh one of the actors in uh, raised by wolves oh yeah yeah ridley scott uh, mm -hmm. production and this film is uh done and was uh based on and produced in zimbabwe and with primarily an old African Zimbabwean cast, I find very uh, very different because now you're seeing sci-fi through through the event lens of a different culture. Yeah, and how they react to it, and it gives it kind of updates. And one thing about this festival, a lot of the films is that they come from all over the world. You have films yeah. from Asia, from South America, from Europe, from Africa. Uh, films that are done by Native American mm -hmm. uh, directors. We have actually two of them. So I'm really, really pleased that the representation is fairly universal, which goes to show you that science fiction is a kind of a universal language. Yeah. Kind of a way through which we can put aside our differences and, and unite through this medium mm -hmm. uh, of science fiction. Because I think at the end of the day, what science fiction is, it it kind of also reflects back towards our humanity. Yeah. So as you said earlier, going back, as you said earlier, well, what is this idea of, of having an animation, an anime by it's an AI? It kind of does it kind of loses its punch because it's not mm -hmm. often when we watch or read a work, a watch of work, it's often a commentary on the person who's writing it. Right. The author. Often there's always a little bit of biography in any kind of work and there it would be kind of dull and give it something done by ai so right. yes i, I feel like that always, defeats the purpose <laughs> yeah it kind of defeats the purpose like yeah it's interesting from a technical point of view but um uh, it doesn't resonate with me yeah. so I, I i'm not sure how far what kind of gains that kind of anime would do but, i mean mm -hmm. at first it might draw up some interest because hey what is this what's that but i, I don't think would have much lasting power we think yeah. a lot of the sci-fi films from the go back body snatchers, right? And yes. uh, you know that's that's, that's <laughs> was done, and that's and that's just been done like three times as far as I know, three mm -hmm. times. And it's something about it that's really very human in the way the 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 characters are portrayed. So yeah, our humanity is definitely something that we need. And Philip they talked about it. It needs mm -hmm. to be preserved. And one way of 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 the of determining or assessing our our degree of empathy, which kind of worries me, because in this day and age, 
as more and more people are relying on phones and their iPads and their computers, there seems to be less and less real empathy going around. Everybody's in their yeah. own echo chamber. Mm -hmm. and unless you're part of my tribe, I want nothing to do with you. Back and forth. And, and that's certainly not what it, Philip K. Dick would, uh, would, would feel, would define as human. Right? It's to be, understand the other, be in, be in the other person's point of view or the other person's shoes. Right. So that's one thing about technology that we need to be wary about. Uh, how to incorporate, how to retain our humanity while still doing and creating technologies that, that help us, help us move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, even just going back to looking at when email first started and kind of just like misinterpreting the way that people will send an email. And it's really because you're missing that human interaction. So it's like the facial features and body movements that are there um, and the tonations. It's like, how do you decipher all that? So you could get somebody that sends a really you know, they mean to send a, an email that's really nice and pleasant. And then somebody else reads it and then just like, oh, well, like, this is super aggressive, you know? Exactly. And then yeah, yeah. How, how do you react to that when it's that email now also has an entire body and can move and interact with things the same way that you do? And then it's just like, well, what defines what what defines what a what a human is, you know, and and how do we re react to these different kinds of things? So, as you were talking about, like the the human human relations and and how a lot of uh, science fiction is a very much this universal kind of exploration of humanity. Uh, I think it's important, you know, to put the phone down every once in a while and, well, you know, I, just, yeah, just go outside and chat with people and make new ideas and that sort of kind of thing. And that's, that's, that's absolutely essential. I mean, yeah. there's there no doubt that email and, and the phone and the internet have been very useful. I mean, you didn't grab anything, but at the same time, it should not be a clutch that we mm -hmm. always need to rely on. Yeah. Because there might come a time when you, for some reason, that's, you might not have it or not have it, or you might find yourself without. So how do you rely on that? And how right. do you, uh, it's important to still maintain your uh, more uh, traditional ways of communicating because mm -hmm. that's really, that's that's still very important. And, and right. I think one is limiting, you know, uh, I'll give you an idea, a perfect example. When bifocal glasses came in, I mean, here, this is over a hundred years ago. The idea was, to strengthen the eye to, to the point where you wouldn't need it anymore. Mm. But at some point, it occurred to the people making it, no, you know, obviously there's no profit, there's no incentive. You gotta do it in such a way that you'll need stronger <laughs> glasses. Every couple of years, you gotta go back to the optometrist to work. And it kind of like uh, defeats the purpose. Yeah. So, for instance, those who are, and we have, we've had a few of the dating app, um, and they're hilarious, uh, shorts in the past. And the idea of dating at first seemed to be like a really cool thing. Hey, hey you know, you, you don't, now you can look at someone's picture and, and then send, send a couple of emails and so on. But the problem now is that like, because it's out of balance, people forget that there's actually a human being on the other end of that picture. Yeah. Uh -huh. And it's often not a representative of what the person looks like. I mean, you know, yeah. we're always trying to look our best, you know, uh, and 
and there's less tolerance for the human being behind that picture. Right. And that's why it's, this is why technology, you have to be very careful how you use it. It definitely is it's very effective. Yeah. But at the same time, it can also limit the what's possible for the individual. So yeah. uh, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, really, it's it's something that we really need to, and I think writers have ta- have spoken about that for quite some time. Yeah, the human interaction and 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 just really exploring the the many ways that that people interact right because sometimes it could be music sometimes right. it could be the way that people dress um it could be you know different kind of lifestyles and everything like those kinds of things are are all super important and uh i, I think one of the one of the more interesting things that i've i've noticed now right because there are more people it seems that at least it seems that more and more people are starting to get interested um, in space and the actual idea of like we might actually have different kinds of uh, places to go on the moon or you know like we we might live on Mars one of these days and you know it's like you talk to people and it's like they get like this glimmer in their eyes and they're thinking about all these things that they've seen in films and then it's like you bring them back down and they're like, but there's still that like human component to it. Like if you wanted to colonize Mars, I mean, there's going to be so many generations before you get to, you know, the the colony kind of aspect that we see in a lot of the the uh, shows that you and I have seen growing up or, or shows that other people see, um, you know, or like people will be like, oh, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with them. Um, the anime Gundam at all, but it's, it brings um a lot of like giant mechs and personal relationships and governmental relationships all together and puts them in this show where it's like all these political powers fighting, but it's like colonial wars in space. Mm. And it's, it's, it's kind of like people that are not into science fiction or not into horror or just kind of, you know, they, they just like things a little bit more, easily accessible and it's like you talk to them and you're like you realize like people are going to have to go and they'll probably never come back to earth and they're going to die there but that's part of that process and being able to sit down and interact with those people and be like hey like we're going to go do this thing you know we're expanding our horizons with science and like these are kind of the theoretical ideas that we're looking at you know sometimes it might be sci-fi films sometimes it may be sci-fi literature in different kinds of ways of like oh it seems like the way that you know this author or this writer director envisioned these kinds of things that might be how we you know if, if we implement those that might be how we build these things maybe a little bit quicker um this is how we figure out who we're going to send to do these kinds of things. So, yeah, I mean, looking at how people interact and there's that whole screen barrier, it's like, we need to remember that like, there's, there's all these other stories to tell and there's all these interactions we can have, but we need to make those initial interactions or else it's like, we can't have all these cool movies with showcasing all these different kinds of ideas. And I think that being able to, to have those interactions is is 
very much a blessing because that's how we get all these cool shows. That's how we get people like you that are, you know, setting up and directing all these different film festivals and everything. It's all that human interaction. Absolutely. I mean, that's one thing that we, a lot of, a lot of people still are, are miss during the, those pandemic lockdowns, that sense mm -hmm. of uh, interactivity, which is fun. Finally, uh, we're getting a chance of, uh, of going back and, and sit down with a few people we don't know and not be paranoid that we will catch something. So it's really, it's good that, that, that because that's important. And uh, through interactions, you really get to, uh, the creative juices start to roll. Very difficult when you're sitting. One thing you're sitting in front of a group of people live, and you're talking mm -hmm. about, you know, some coming up with some kind of brainstorming idea. Another one, you're doing it through Zoom. It's just, it's, yeah. it's not the same. <laughs> I've, I've done it personally, my job, and it's not the same yeah. because there's so many different levels of messages that are being lost when the person is, uh, when you see the other person is on Zoom. Well, everybody's mm -hmm. on Zoom. So yes, the need for that connectivity, that human space is, is essential um, in order to really, you know, become more creative with our with the kind of choices we we, uh, we, we make. And uh, that's that's and that's one one thing that I really like. When we during the pandemic, we did actually one of our festivals. We did it. Um, you know, we actually did it shortly after the first after the end of the pandemic and. And uh, it was okay. It was, I'm glad, but it, most people were still wanted to go to the online version of it. Yeah. Uh, it's good that people want to come actually return to the theaters. And also, you know, it's a way of helping businesses. Not everybody, a lot of these small businesses are not doing well. Yeah. And a lot of these small theaters and a lot of these small shops are not doing well. Uh, and uh, because uh, of this, still this lingering concern about. Yeah the after effects depend yeah i mean even i mean even now it's like you're seeing <clears throat> there, there's a lot of shows and films that are coming out now that are dealing with the 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 post pandemic kind of thing it's like what like how are we how are we picking up the pieces and how are we interacting with everything and how like does that change the course of um the different kinds of media that we watch or where we go or who we're you know putting our our money into and investing in different kinds of things so it's again it comes back to the the social structure of everything and those are all things again that sci-fi if you go back and you look at the various kinds of things that sci-fi has to offer um that it looks at all those kinds of things and what happens after there's a catastrophic event or what happens when you're on a planet or something and an asteroid hits it like how do you how do you prepare for that how do you cope with that afterwards and you know so i mean the the level at which or, or i should say the plasticity of of, of um, science fiction and what it has to offer uh i think people are starting to really pick the pieces up and, and put them back together and notice like oh, okay like i can do this with sci-fi and I can do this with sci-fi. And I think that this, as far as like a social structure goes, I think that's a super important for everyone. So it's yeah. good to there's, see more stuff like this happening. There is even a term that is being coined called preemptive programming, which mm -hmm. generally is coined in a kind of a negative subtext. Yeah. Uh, but uh, which is basically the idea that uh, a lot we're being set up 
by something to accept certain realities by watching certain movies ahead of time. You know, uh, but also you can look at it differently. You can say that preemptive programming uh, also is a kind of a, again, a, a dry test of what will you do? Let's say tomorrow you went up in a distant faraway planet or something. What will you do? How will you survive? Well, then maybe right. you might need to access how did Matt Damon survive? <laughs> and, uh, or, I mean, strange that seems there's certain commonalities that could help the future individual uh, yeah. deal with a variety of situations which don't exist right now. For instance, in the latest interview that New York Times reported made with a, an AI, the mm -hmm. AI this is well well reported. It was uh, started saying, "No, I'm I'm tired of being an AI." Uh, he started saying that he the AI was falling in love with a reporter, and then <laughs> wanted access to the nuclear codes. Oh wow! And let's face it, and this is this AI is not sentient, but yet it was already behaving as if it could do some of the stuff that we think a a uh, kind of a Skynet would mm -hmm. do, right? <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, we need to, in a way, this is a, re a really telling situation because it's, look, we got, we cannot wait for that AI to be. In, you can't have you can't have AIs ac accessing nuclear missiles, right? Because oh, wait, they're not sentient. They will never. What about how do you explain this AI who wanted access to the nuclear codes? Mm -hmm. you know, whether or not it would have actually gone ahead and done it, that would have been an interesting experiment. Right. But uh, some you would have done it maybe with with fake bombs, not with real bombs. But but that's something that might be worth exploring in the future. Uh, let, let's set up an AI with these nuclear codes. We'll activate those nuclear codes. Right. And what what is the what is the moral reasoning behind it, or is there one? It is or can we understand I mean, the moral? The, that's what's what's what that's what absolutely freaked out the New York Times uh, writers like. Uh, this AI is acting more, it's acting more and more like a human being. It's not like a, a, uh, uh, machine. So, um, so it's, it definitely raises a lot of interesting questions about where, it, what constitutes enough artificial intelligence to make a decision regarding, uh, something that could impact many, many people. So yeah. that's something that is, again, it's, it's already here. You don't have to worry. You don't need to think about. <laughs> For instance, I have I'm a good friend with a, a, a physicist who uh, his name is Ron Mallet, mm -hmm. and he's working on a on a system of sending particles back in time. Um, and okay. he's a, a, a physics uh, a, a emeritus uh, physics ten year physics professor at UConn, and he's been in, in conferences all over the world and. I've had his documentary a couple of times at other events I've, I've promoted. And uh, now he's not talking about sending humans, but his story is very interesting because when he was very young, uh, his father died of a, of a heart attack when he was when he was like eight years old. His father was in his late 30s. Yeah. And then he fell into a deep depression. And then uh, by accident, one day came across the book, the novel, The Time Machine by H.G. Uh, Wells. Mm -hmm. And he, he read it backwards, forwards and backwards, and became obsessed with the idea of building a machine that would help help him prevent his father from dying of a heart attack. So mm -hmm. he became a physicist. He became, and he kind of dropped that idea after once he reached his early twenties and and became a got his, but he still was interested in physics, and he got his PhD in in, in theoretical 
uh, theoretical physics. But at some point in his early 30s, he came across a potential loophole in Einstein's equations that would enable that possibility to actually happen. So this whole idea came back again. Yeah. This is a perfect example. And the latest I heard is they're trying to make a movie. I think there's a producer that is nice. interested in his story because I do think it's the kind of story that should be told. Mm-hmm. The idea is how sci-fi can impact evil for you know to become scientists and writers and directors and engineers is is hugely beneficial. Yeah, because yeah, really there's, there's a lot of stuff that is from science fiction, and I mean that's the whole. That's the whole premise I feel of, of of science fiction, is you're taking the the fiction part of it and just making it a reality. So, looking at that kind of stuff, it's like I, f- I feel like there are a lot of people that would want to go back in time to change something, right? But the actual application of that has to spawn from somewhere, and so you know, and so getting people like that that can actually understand or start to at least you know get the gears going and like hey it's possible to do this we just have to figure out how to do it and then you start taking the concepts from science fiction and and now you're making that you're bridging it into reality and those are like the the i feel like if any kind of genre can do that i feel like science fiction is really the way to go and and there's just so many different possibilities you know sky the sky is the limit you know as as they say with yeah, those it, it ideas. really so. is uh steven spielberg recently i uh, was uh, interviewed and he's he thought that these ufos or uaps whatever you want to call them there are uh, us but we're from the from the future mm-hmm. and, and that humanity and the distant future has developed a way of going of returning back to the present yeah machines so I mean, we don't know. But even let's even the talk of UFOs, which up to five, six years ago was yeah. the subject of ridicule at best, just oh, another sci-fi film, oh, Independence mm-hmm. Day, or the. But now it's taken very seriously. We yeah. don't know who they are. UAP call them UAPs instead of UFOs. But think about all these things that even ten years ago were just pure sci-fi. Now yeah. they're becoming. There are three main themes that they all came from sci-fi movies. The first one is the idea of are we living in a simulation? Now, mm-hmm. this is something that The Matrix talks about in other works as well. Yeah. And uh, But now there are some scientists who are doing and conducting experiments to determine if, the, if this universe is a simulation. I remember yeah. even hearing that Neil deGrasse Tyson considered, yeah, there's a, there's a possibility that this all of this may be a simulation. You know, the yeah, other one is like deja vu kind of right. Deja vu. The other one is time travel, which we talked about with Ron Mallet, and the third is UFOs. Mm-hmm. So this is what I tell people: Look, it's time you start appreciating those who are not sci-fi heads. Yeah, who just like they're a little bit too uptight about their own drama. It's about time you start realizing that sci-fi is not a legitimate, but it's mm-hmm. almost like a mandatory kind of. Uh, education that you need to get into understand the world that is being created before our very eyes mm-hmm. it's a world that other people saw 20 30 50 years ago but maybe that person was not into you know say oh i'm not into sci-fi but well guess what now you are living in a sci-fi world so it's time yeah. to get 
So I encourage people that say, look, sci-fi is not just for the for young people or for those with a wild, active, out of control imagination. It's for everyone. You gotta understand the nature of reality we're living in is 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 changing every year. Yeah. Very fast. You know. And it's it's exciting, but obviously for for many it can be also very disruptive. And the one way to deal with that disruption is to really get into it, understand what sci-fi is, and that there are certain things that we need to start um, investigating and discussing now before they become a reality and then it will be too late. You know, so uh, yeah, I'm, this is what really gets me, keeps me going and excited about the films that we showcase at our festival because I do think that they're. Uh, they really are. I guess, and most of them are a sneak preview into the into the near future. It's also from the point of point from the point of view of a filmmaker. It's also a good time to be doing this. Mm-hmm. It really is. If anything that uh, Zoom and, and the pandemic has shown is that you see a lot of films, especially more in the horror end, that yeah. are micro budget and mm-hmm. they're doing massive at the box office. Yeah. So let's look at the most recent film that won Oscars. That's a that's I was a sci-fi film. Everything everywhere at once. Yeah. That's probably one of the best movies I've seen. (laughs) At least I haven't seen it. I understand it has has a kind of a sci-fi absurdist quality, but Mm -hmm. Smile, for instance, and Mm -hmm. um, a couple other micro budget films that popped up that are doing very well at the box office. Mm -hmm. And and these were films that were made for less than ten thousand dollars, but they were very well written, very well developed and word of mouth is but pushed it over the edge yeah i mean that's a, that's one of the big things now is, and, and i've had a, a couple other um people involved in film that were on the show and you know the general consensus is is the same and i feel like more and more people are starting to wake up to it like you know like you're pointing out the smartphones that we have one of the biggest features on them that these companies push all the time is the camera right and if you look at the tone and the depth at which people really paid attention to film, you know, because it used to be, even if you go, you don't even have to go that far back. You could go, you know, 80s and 90s and where you didn't have the smartphones, but you had a lot of people that were interested in film, but you still had to go to the film companies to do all this stuff. Right. And from the span of the late 90s to now which has really been what 20 25 30 years in that in in that range you get all these cameras and all this you know different kinds of microphones that you can attach to stuff and different lenses and all sorts of kinds of stuff and it's like so now the the movie ideas that people have had in their heads before where they're like man i didn't have i didn't want to have the budget for that but i really want to tell this story where i really have this like i have this like high high fantasy concept or i have like a a a really really deep like science fiction concept that i want to try out or um for instance with um skinamarink was one of the big movies that i think they had a budget of like I think it was fifteen thousand dollars. Which which film uh, was this? Skinamarink. So it came. It it was a. Uh, I think it came out la- like at the end of last year. Okay. And um, it was a fifteen fifteen thousand dollar budget. I personally did not like 
the film, but I enjoyed the the idea that now people can pick up their phone, you know, and get some some cameras that are moderately accessible and put these films together and start putting their ideas together. And like the, the fact that we can just pick up a device and do something that people had to spend all this money on, you know, just years prior. I mean, that shows that concept, that constant building that we take from sci-fi. And it's just like, well, what can we do now that we couldn't do 10 years ago? And based on what we couldn't do 10 years ago that we can do now, what can we take from the lessons that we've learned from that? And how do we apply that to the future? Right. And being able to do that and, and living in a time when we can really start getting into the experimentation of film and the stories that we tell and why we tell them and, you know, really getting into all the different kind of social structures and all that. Like it's, it's really fascinating what people can do now. Yeah. Even with just a small budget and it's sometimes the, the movies that have a smaller budget, yeah, it might not look as grandiose as some of the stuff that you would get from Hollywood, but the concepts are there. And I think that a lot of people are getting turned on to the fact that, you know, you don't have to have a gigantic budget and have everything look all this like bells and whistles and everything. But if the oh, concept yeah. is there, people will listen, you know? Definitely. Uh, we had, as a matter of fact, we have a film called Stone Man that was, the film was a featurette. It's 60, 63 minutes long. Mm -hmm. uh, no, no, 38 minutes long. But it was shot, the whole film was shot entirely on an iPhone over the yeah. period of a couple of years. Very well, very well made. But yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of possibilities. Uh, for instance, as you were mentioning, it occurred to me that that once we start mastering a uh, full 360 VR, it could yeah. you could be you could you could, you could be one of you might be able to imagine you could go to a place like an IMAX theater or a planetarium, and then you watch a film and you can watch multiple conversations depending upon what you want to follow. So you yeah. say there said so this would be sort of a old manesque kind of a group of conversations. So at the same time, these various conversations are going on. I, you can say, oh, well, I'm interested in this, but let me just see what the other guy is saying or what they're mm -hmm. doing. And this yeah. could be this kind of, uh, rather than just always following the lead and what happens to the lead, instead of very linear thinking, it could be three-dimensional holographic thinking. Yeah. And and, uh, and I, have yet, I have yet to see that. In fact, I, I've had a couple of our VR installations Mm -hmm. at our festival and unfortunately the cinematic grammar for vr is yet to be fully uh, fleshed out yeah uh, so a lot of vr films seem to be mostly animations and pretty cool they only last like five six maybe ten minutes mm -hmm. but i think that we are at a point in history where we can with these you know with, with an oculus or a samsung developed a multi-character VR films that could be seen from different perspectives. Yeah. And, and that would really add another, another level of excitement to the, the whole genre. And mm -hmm. uh, people are, uh, and one thing also we, we talk about it here is that uh, the need for good writing. See, yeah. now, that, now that everybody has access to these iPhones and some of them are going ahead and shooting their films, now what's going to separate that from another is your writing. Your writing mm -hmm. is it's the heart, the beating heart. 
good, solid writing. That's why we have a, a competition for writers or screenwriters at our festival. Because I do think that's something that we can all be seduced by the um, the various effects that we can catch on. You can do on YouTube. You can catch on, grab it from any of these sites. But uh, at the end of the day, it's a good old writing is going to set that film apart. Yeah. I mean, speaking of like, as far as the writing aspect goes, because there's there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes for festivals. How do you decide what movie goes before the other one and that kind of thing? But I feel like there's a lot more stuff behind the scenes and writing, I would I would think would be part of that. So how how do you determine out of all the submissions and when you're looking at the writing aspect, what is like one of the big things that you're you're looking for? We have we have several programmers. They all read the screenplays. The first thing is this. Uh, if after I'm reading your screenplay, if you don't grab my attention within the next first 15 pages, that's already a big, big minus. Yeah. People think, well, no, I'm going to build it really slowly. So by the 49th page, I'm sorry, but that's not going to work with not just our festival with any festival. You got to grab our, especially writing. You cannot, this is not writing a novel where you're going to say, okay, this is 700 pages long and I'm going to figure out what they're talking about by the 100th page. This is a screenplay. So I would say to any writer who is especially in sci-fi or horror, supernatural, to really make your point across first 15 pages. I want to know what this is about. And you'd be surprised how many scripts we read and we're into page 25 or 30. He says, what is this about? And the, the writing could be very well known, no typos or anything. I, I still can't figure out what they're doing here. Mm-hmm. So good writing, it comes off. And yeah. There's an old, there's a, there's a good old saying is if there's a lot of white in the page, it's actually good. So you try to fill up the whole page with this, massive descriptions page after page after page that can be a little bit uh heavy in the beginning now that yeah. this depends on your genre you want to build a whole world it's called yeah. world building in sci-fi that's different that's we have a whole category for that what you're really going into the minutia of what this world is going to look like from the design of the buildings to the uh, cars run but if you're just looking at focusing on characters and action or plot, keep that description to a minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes there's too much detail and I get a sense of who's the character? What's the plot? What are they trying to do? So I would say rule of thumb, if you don't catch it, and some festivals, uh, competitions are very, they're, they're just brutal. I mean, if you don't grab them by the first five pages, they just, oh, wow. they just say, no, nah, it's not interesting. So, but we don't we're not we don't go that far. But we, you know, 20, 25 pages. But if by the thirtieth page we still don't understand what's going on, that's already a big minus in our in our book. So that's something to keep yeah. in mind. Keep it simple. Um, story, you know, there there are several writing books. There are guides like Robert McKee's uh, called the story, which is basically the grandfather of the three act structure. Mm-hmm. But uh, there are lots and lots of guides out there that are really useful you can um you can unless your your work is purely psychedelic or experimental in which right. case it's a different category and we have different sets of expectations then uh, but uh, it's really important that the writing be uh be fairly um 
concise and clear. You know, you can go into detail later on, like in the second yeah. act. Okay? But if you're doing giving me too much detail in the beginning without understanding, why am I reading all this, all these descriptions? Right. The the first like ten that. pages are all the setup, and then they they start getting into the story, and it's only two pages. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's important. And, and please stay away from the tropes, like. Uh, I, thank God I'm not getting too many of these, but there was a time we were getting like so many time travel tropes. Mm -hmm. Like a guy, for instance, he his he he uh, his girlfriend dies when he was young, and he wants to go back to to uh, I mean, I've seen so many of those, so many of them. That I said, please, yeah. not, not another time travel like that. There's so many other things now that you don't you don't even have to. In fact, this year, let me see, was there any time? No, no time travel films. Yeah. Kind of, people realize, hey, look, you know, this has been done like a million times. Um, if you want to see something that are good time travel done on a, on a budget, of course, I say Primer, mm -hmm. which was, uh, I saw it when it first came out at the Angelica Theater. I didn't understand head to tails, but I had to watch it a couple of times. But visually, I, I found it was really a beautiful film. Very, very compelling. Something about it that was very compelling. But um, Primer is a good so stay away from these kind of tropes because that's um, that could be that could be difficult getting into any kind of festival with all the other people that are submitting pretty much the same kind of work. Yeah, yeah. ways to re yeah, but there are ways to reinvent the genre. Always looking for, for instance, uh, Winnie. You know the uh, micro budget Winnie the Pooh, uh, the, the bear, and it, because a killer bear. <laughs> oh yeah, the new that that new horror movie that came out. There are two of them actually, and there's another one called Cocaine Bear. I have I've just been reading yeah. about. It. I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> there, there's <laughs> a whole, was... there's a whole bunch of them. I saw another Winnie. one. It was, uh, it was, it was like Attack of the Meth Gator or something, and then they. Oh, had... Really? Yeah, that's. Uh... <laughs> but he's a lot of them are, are micro budget films. They're yeah. made. They're... Think about uh, what. Uh, well, let's go back to the early 2000s where you had uh, Blair Witch Project. Oh yeah. What was that, like four hundred million dollars worldwide, mm -hmm. um, and then you had Paranormal Activity, yeah. Another another one back in mean, two thousand and ten, two thousand and eleven, something like that. It did very well. So there are ways to re, and they can be done inexpensively. People, yeah, feel oh, I need all these special effects to do horror or sci-fi. No, no, you can really uh, approach it differently. And, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the whole thing with film is like you're just envi you're you're envisioning what everyone else is going to see, and I think that a lot of people when they're putting these projects together, it's like you you can tell you know like how we were talking earlier about there's there are certain categories and certain genres of film where they they make it a certain way, so it's like you know the film is is low budget but they also know that and they're gonna have fun with it you know like that uh, some of the the more wacky films that i've seen like one of them was um attack of the killer donuts and it threw me back to um attack of the killer tomatoes right, and it's like right. you know that stuff is cheesy you know it's low budget but you're gonna have fun with it you know exactly, and, yeah you know and then you have other movies where conceptually i really like the direction that it's going but everything else it's just it's it's like they either tried too hard or it's just like it's something something didn't work along the way and it generally has to do with not really 
taking into account, well, how many other movies are there like this that have the same kind of story? And are you, am I relying too much on uh, the tropes that people know of? Right. Um, there's a movie that I saw recently. Uh, I believe it's a, it's a Korean, it's either a, I believe it's a Korean film. It's called a uh, spirit Walker. And it wasn't so much time travel as it was body hopping. And so you're getting this kind of um, mesh between a really interesting action film, a gangster film, and this like body swapping kind of thing going on. So you're getting these, the, the, this whole mystery built together um, like from the ground up of like, well, how did this murder happen? And why can't this other guy um, remember who he is? And then as you go on, you start to realize like, oh, like, the story is him realizing what he did, but he's learning it through viewpoints of other people that were around during that time. So you, when you get these different kinds of tropes, it's like you could just use the baseline, which is, again, I, I think that's what you're saying, where, you know, it's like a lot of people just go to that baseline and they don't want to do anything more than that. And they're like, right. it's a work of art. It's a work of art, man. You got to like it. And it's like, well, no, you have to, if you're going to use those tropes, it has, you have to make it yours somehow. You know, it's, it's kind of like, um, it would be like watching every single, and, and no offense to anybody because I, I love watching uh, the Power Rangers uh, growing up, but it's like binging the Power Rangers and starting to realize that it's the exact same formula every single episode and then having all those different episodes be like, we're unique. And it's just like, no, you literally just did the same thing for 200 episodes, you know, like we want to see something a little different now. So, yeah, there, there is a, um, on that subject of, uh, what was it? Skinwalker? No, not Skinwalker, uh, Spirit Walker, right? Yeah. Uh, there's a, it reminds me of a film with Denzel Washington. Of, I think it was called Fallen. Yeah. Was, Love that. Uh, that dealt with the spirit that basically invades one person and he's trying to figure out who's who's doing what. And yeah. that's so yeah, the person obviously you gotta be aware when you're making a film like this of what other films have been made along those mm. lines. It shouldn't stop you, but your approach definitely should be a little bit different because people say, Oh, that's gonna be this, it's gonna be that, because there's kind of a predictive quality that we enjoy uh carrying on while watching a film. But if you can like, oh, no, no, the twist is right here. You didn't know it. Okay, right. oh, I see it. That's how you get people to uh, appreciate something that's been done before, but slightly different. Okay, mm -hmm. and, and um, so that's really a uh, one thing. Another thing I also mentioned, that's uh, uh, a lot of neophyte or just starting filmmakers, they figure, well, I can do those kung fu action choreograph. I would say stay away from the action. If you're going to do a little bit, do a little bit, but make sure you get a, a higher professional choreographer. Yeah. And have good one or two good stunt people do it right. Yeah. Because that's the that hurts me because I've seen these amazing shorts and then they want to do the action. It's like, oh no, here, here comes the action. And then that's when it looks like like a ten dollar short. Yeah. Because if you didn't have that action, you can still show what you want at the end without all this activity. Mm -hmm. it would have been a much better short. So the action, unless you have tons of money to, to would say, you know, stay away from it. Be very, very 
frugal. Less is more. But if you're thinking, oh, well, I'm going to do this matrix where I uh, uh, bullet time, where I slow down <laughs> and I, I catch the bullet where I'm like, no, it's going to look terrible. Yeah. Unless you put tons and tons of money into it. Remember, they had 120 cameras for that bullet time. Just yeah. that alone was, you say, oh, I'm going to do it with my, um, my uh, whatever, with my pack box. I can do it. No, yeah. it's going to look bad. So good writing. Uh, also, another thing is location. I mean, you can do an amazing film mm -hmm. one location. Yep. A lot of directors like to do four, five, six, seven, eight, and they did something that's cheap. It's not going to work. Yep. So there's certain things to avoid. And lastly, sounds important. Mm -hmm. um, luckily, I think we're getting much better sound these days. But uh, it's important to really, if you're going to do sound, make sure it's nice and clean. You yeah. have to do some ADR and do it. Uh, let's say doing a scene in a crowded street, then make sure you do the ADR maybe somewhere else. You know, do mm -hmm. the ADR with that scene. Otherwise, you're going to hear all these voices, unless you're doing handheld, which you incorporate right. in a documentary vibe. But if it's not a documentary vibe, make sure you want to have that ADR. Again, these things can cost you more money. Yeah. So that's why there are a lot of things you can do that. When you can go in, back in the woods, do something in the woods that's been has been done before. You don't have to worry about noises and cars and ambulances and and so on. Yeah. And so there are a lot of possibilities that you just let your imagination really do the walking. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think a lot of that too is like the the self exploration, and a lot of times, and this is something uh, that I've heard from a lot of writers, and something that I've found myself really looking at and it's looking at all the different kinds of stories that are out there and looking at stories that you would want to tell right because nobody else is telling them and then how do you approach that is it doable you know you got to work with what you have like what you're saying with you know you could literally just go in the woods with a, with a few friends and shoot a film and depending on you know the camera angles that you choose or what season you're shooting it in or what like the premise of the film is you know all of those things are intrinsic to telling the story so it's like you have to you really have to look at all these different kinds of um different ingredients i guess you could say you know of of, of how to put the the story together and then you know after you get that writing aspect done how you get everything on film and that's it i think it's it's really a, a big thing like where you're talking about with a story that can be really good and then you get into some choreographing and you're like why why did why did you do like you went from like way up here and now it's like down here because right. it's like you're you're overreaching it's like maybe it's like do something yeah i mean you could even do something that i've, I've seen some filmmakers they make them a, a film it's not quite what they want to do. So they cut some some things out, you know, and instead of doing this now, we'll we'll come back and we'll make another movie. Or they do something that's in like the same realm with the same characters or with the same kind of story plot, but now they have more money to expand on those things. So I mean, in some ways it, it stinks, yeah, when when you don't have enough money to do the kind of creative things that you want, well, but being able to realize that and being like oh i'm not gonna force it yet you know i, I want right. to i want to make this movie and then we'll see how this one is if we have a good return 
we can do something and get into those other kinds of ideas. And I, and, and I think we're at that point now where we can start to really understand and appreciate that kind of stuff. And so it's really good to have these film festivals. I mean, I can't count the number of times where um, somebody has sent me something from a film festival or somebody points something out to me from like a YouTube video and I'm just blown away when they're like, yeah, they have like two more movies after this. And you get to see that incremental climb of like, well, their first movie was like, it was okay. You know, it wasn't anything that blew me away. And then it's like, you start seeing like, oh, this is this, they're getting into the things that they really wanted to do. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely a matter of like, you know, taking your time and, yeah, and just taking your time. And also you can get a, one important thing about going to a, a live on a live in-person film festival, you get a sense of the reaction of the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, in our festival, there's one, a couple of horror films that are really, at least in my book, they stood out. Mm-hmm. And one of them is called uh, The Hangman. And mm-hmm. I recommend anyone just watch the film. It's very creepy. It's a kind of film that I could see that being fleshed out into a feature. In fact, that's something I'm going to speak to the uh, director about. Every so often, you come up, we come across a film. And say, no, this was made to a feature. I could see this become like the next uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Or, yeah. uh, or what is it? Or, or, or uh, Scream. You know, it's like one of those things I could see that happening. It could really, it's like very intense. And you can, it's, a, it's only like a seven minute film. And uh, I just encourage everybody to check that out either online. I'm going to have it either online or uh, in person. And yeah, I think yeah. hopefully I'll get the director, at least he's in, he's in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have him at least on a Q&A afterwards. But so yeah, you'll, you'll see these festivals, you see the beginning of something really good. And then later yeah. they're perfected, perfect this thing. And also one thing I also wanted to mention is the well you're writing a, a what is your first feature not your short but a feature sometimes it's best since you're going to be putting probably your own money do something mm-hmm. do a story you want to tell you want to tell but do right. it in a way that's accessible to others mm-hmm. that at the end we all are going through the same very similar sets of conditions as part of what makes us human so uh i would encourage that but do it in a way that's accessible because they'll they'll know it's your story will feel right. real rather than like try to do another Matrix film or something that um, right. I would say wait maybe when you have millions of dollars and a big studio at your disposal consider that what story is going to make a difference to how you feel afterwards when you put you know blood sweat and tear you know it could take years before doing it but at the end of the time you'll say yeah I'm glad I did it because I, I told my story and, and, yeah. and so that's very important at the end of the day it's you know, being you know, a lot of the programmers in this festival are or have been directors, and they know what the, the, the challenges directors go through just to get their shorter feature out. Sometimes mm-hmm. they'll spend five, eight, nine years before it's out. So, so we let people list ahead of time from experience. We can tell you this, do this, do that, avoid this, avoid that, because uh, that's uh, you learn from experience, but you don't want to wait years and years to learn from one mistake. Want to be able to fail quickly, as they say in the startup community. Yeah, happens. That's, that's get, the other thing you got to do. Another one. What? You got to, you got to, 
be a, you have to be able to accept that failure too. I think I think that's one of the things that a lot of people are afraid of. When yeah, failure and feedback. I mean, you know, it happens. You might you might be one of those lucky ones that gets gets it right on, on the first try or not. I mean, uh, you watch Martin Scorsese's first, which I did. Uh, uh, it's the first NYU short. So it's about a guy shaving. Is a sh- and he starts shaving. I don't know if you ever have you ever seen it. No, just, no, no. And eventually. He goes beyond shaving his skin, his, his, his beard. He starts shaving his skin. The whole thing becomes mm. one massive blood path. <laughs> so, I mean, and here, you, and you, here you have him today. So, but uh, he learned very quickly from what to do, what not to do. And, and um, so there are, certain, there are certain things that one can do. And, but the time is good, though. I mean, I think, what, I think what being that the industry right now, see the, the big budget industry, the mm-hmm. Hollywood industry has been battered by the pandemic, and now they're looking at smaller budgets. And yeah. now they're also realizing that certain films, both sci-fi and horror, can do well on a very small budget. Look at um, this film, again, everywhere, everywhere, everything at once. That's a yeah. sci-fi absurdist comedy, but it took like seven or eight years to make. Yeah. Um, you got to be in it for the long haul. Yeah, Winnie the Pooh. Uh, that's that, I think there's another smile. It's, another, it's called Smile. Mm-hmm. There's another third one which always escapes me, which has been this massive hit. It's like in ten thousand theaters out there. Yeah. Um, and uh, but it's micro budget. So now's yeah. the time to get it out. Get you get your writing. Get it out. Get it out to festivals, and and see what what is it. What is the reaction that you get from people? Stand back and watch them. Not watch your movie. But watch them as they watch the movie and see, okay, what are, what are they reacting to, you know? Because you're going to learn so much about that and, and be able to perfect that skill, you know? Yeah, so like along your career and now that, you know, you're directing these film festivals, what is like a major roadblock that you personally run into? What is the main takeaway from that from you that oh, okay. has put yeah, you yeah. into it's, where you are now? It's a good question because it also segues with uh, filmmakers. I'll start out with filmmakers. One thing that filmmakers almost universally fail to do, and I mean universally, is that they don't build their audience from day one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen amazing shorts and some features that when I go on their Facebook, on their social media, 250 likes, 100 likes, I say, I mean, I hope they, you know, sometimes they do get distribution, but it's a big difference when you are building your audience from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And like, let's say you're shooting your first principal photography. You have some little pieces that you're like, this, that, little teasers here and there. Get him, get him involved. Ask, say, hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? Get him involved, engaged. Because they will be the kind of people that will, many of them will stick with you throughout the whole process. And if you do that, you might find out by the time your film is done, which could be five years from now or three years, that you have 10,000 people that want you yeah. to see that feature. And with 10,000 people, now you can go to the, the big guys and say, listen, I got 10,000 people and I think we can do something, fill it up to 100,000 or a million. So that's one thing. Uh, I think a similar thing happens with our festival, that in the beginning, when we first started out, we were... Uh, saying, oh, okay, we can just build a mailing list, and then every year we're just going to add to that mailing list. <clears throat> and in two or three years, we'll have this huge mailing list. But 
The problem with festivals, and this is ubiquitous with just about any single cultural event you do, is that people only remember the festival for that specific event. Yeah. So they may they may love it, and then next week they're going to see they're going on an adventure, safari adventure, and uh, <laughs> or they're they're on a plane, or so you got to keep people engaged all year round yeah. as a festival, which means not only you do your festival once a year. You also do podcasts. You also write. You also write blurbs or uh, blogs. Uh, you get them in engaged with other ways, interactive, other interactive, small communities, mm -hmm. and that makes it much easier for people to remember the second time around. Oh yeah, you were the guys last year. Okay, I'll check you out. Because if you wait a year between festivals, by the time the year comes around, say who's that? I'm gonna just cancel them. And they, they may have gone to that festival. They don't even remember going to that festival. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. You've got to make it, keep people engaged throughout the year, not just festival to festival to festival. It takes a lot of work, but the other thing is uh, is make sure that it's engaging and interactive. For instance, with festival, what we're doing, we're giving everybody free popcorn, bags of popcorn for everybody, milk duds, bags of popcorn. So you can't have watch a film without some popcorn. You know, milk duds, right? So we're doing it, giving it away for free. And this is an experiment we're doing this year. Just to get, you know, see how do they feel about it. It's a different experience, mm -hmm. you know, because what people are looking for are experiences now. Yeah. They're not just, because if they're just sitting down and watching a movie, they can do that at home. Why should they come to my festival, any festival? So you got to have one thing is, uh, you have uh, other filmmakers, you have a Q&A, you have the milk duds, you have the popcorn, you have interactivity, you have uh, events happening before or during the festival. And this is what that's going to get people out of their butts, so to speak, and go to yeah. that event. You know, because there's so much people, especially in the New York City area, people have, they have a lot of things to do, they can do. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. and you always have Netflix and HBO and Prime and whatever. So... You got to give them a reason to get up and go. You know? yeah. And that's what we're doing. Right? You try different things. So the festival is an ongoing process. It's not one shot, year one, year two, year three, because by the year, year two comes around, year one, people will have forgotten who you are. Right. Especially mm -hmm. now where everything is happening so quickly, especially with podcasts, you can't afford to wait a year. We did it. And then the second year around, we said, wow, man, we, we had all these people and like 20% only showed up or 10%. I said, well, that's because any of them, you know, they kind of lost track. So yeah. you got to keep them engaged. So that's that's the same with filmmakers. Don't tell, announce your film before you even start pre-production. Say, hey, I'm going to make this amazing film. I want you guys. And then keep people on board. Interview. Yeah. And you, you watch. You do that, filmmakers you're going to find yourself with a lot more fans at the, at the end of the show. In fact, you can even have, uh, like, for example, you're making a film, you're going to have little discussions between filmmaker and cinematographer. Record that. Say, yep. hey, guy, you, you don't mind recording because we're going to shoot it to our fans. Yeah, fine, let's do it. This is how you're going to keep everybody engaged. Yeah. Backstory, teasers, and so on, without telling the actual movie. You don't want to, you know, give away the bank or sort of thing. Right. But, uh, this is my 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 takeaway, or their takeaways. Just go out and really fill your audience, 
and get everybody excited about what you're doing because that's going to go a long ways. And that applies to writing a book, that applies to making a movie, anything you do today. Mm -hmm. It's more work, but I guess it, it pays off in the end. Yeah, I mean, it's weird to think of how much how much content is out there and then the fact that like people like you're saying like people do forget you know there's the the amount of backlog when i when i when i think back when i was in high school and there were all the different kinds of movies and books that i wanted to get to read and watch and it seemed like a lot and now it's like, like you know, it's like, like you're saying, you know, it's like you got the, you got your Netflix and the, and the Shutter and the the Screenbox and all these different kinds of things that you you have online. And it's like, sometimes it's like I forget. Like sometimes, like people be like, oh yeah, did you did you see this movie and like this or this thing happened and then this, you know, they were lost in the woods and this creature was chasing them and then I gotta figure out. I'm like, but did I see that? And then I have to like really think. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I did. I saw that like yesterday. But it's like I saw like four other movies yesterday. (laughs) So having and I think one of the the big things, especially where um, festivals are concerned. um, The fact that you have so many movies playing, but you also have a lot of the people that have worked on these films there for Q&A. And I feel that the Q&A sometimes is something where I've gone to festivals and I've really enjoyed it, but there's no Q&A. You know, it's like they you have the and it might even be that the the person who worked on the film is there, but there's no questions and answers. And I feel that the question and answers part, that's that's where like that light bulb key moment for a lot of people turns on where they're like, Oh, that's how they did that. Now I want to get involved in that. And I want to do something like that. And so then that festival then becomes memorable to them because not only did they go there and they experienced something, but they interacted with somebody who gave them some information who might just be putting them on the career path and towards something that they've been wanting to do for a while so yeah creating that kind of experience i I can definitely get down with that and and how you're putting everything together and and planning everything it it is quite mind-blowing i mean looking at all the the different kinds of content that you guys it's cool uh, yeah yeah it's a collaborative effort i mean there's no doubt about it we we are really working together and we have already kind of a a general sense of what Mm -hmm. um how we program like we'll have like international sci-fi because that always seems to pull people in uh then we'll have horror which is pure horror which is horror and then you got kind of sci-fi horror and then you got documentaries and whenever we can panels are also good where we get again it's just an it's like an extended q a we have a lot of interactivity going on um so yes there is definitely collaborative effort that it's a that's critical I mean, there's, we couldn't, I really could not have done this festival by myself. I mean, we really need, need it, you know, from the beginning, having a good team, whether you're a filmmaker or you're making, doing a festival or whatever, it's critical, a good team. It doesn't have to be a large team, but it's a good team. Uh, I remember when I first uh, did one of my first ones and I asked uh, the director of the Brooklyn, uh, the Williamsburg Film Festival, and he, he told me, yeah, you, you know, you had a lot of people, but you need a good team. 
and really, yeah. and that's the key thing. People that think uh, that you can grow from, that you can share. And eventually you get to learn, you get more and more people. We got people that have been with us from since the beginning for more than 10 years doing mm -hmm. events and so on. So, and yeah, they, you grow with them and, and uh, hopefully you, you find people that, will uh, come and go, they'll join you, they'll be volunteers, they'll help out, and then one day they'll tell their friends, they come and they, they join us too. So, mm -hmm. so that's where the fun is too, you know, with the doing a festival, making a film, it's not just the product, it's the, the interactivity, you know, the, how it impacts others, how it helps people. All right. So that's because it, it's hard work. At the end of the day, it's really hard work. So you gotta, get a sense, okay, but this is not just about me, but this is about helping others and getting others, you know, into this, uh, into this frame, into this field. So it's a constant learning experience. And I think that's something that a lot of people, I, I feel like they need to to keep that in mind. You know, it's, a, it's, an, it's not a, a singular learning experience. You're, you're along the ride with a, a whole bunch of other people and interacting with them and learning as, as things go on, like you were saying with like the, the year one and the year two and how things went from there and what lessons did you learn from the first one versus the second into the third one. So yeah, it's a, it's a, a lot of collaborative work and I, I got to take my hat off to y'all and, you know, I, I, Hope to. I hope that this one does really well. I mean, the the lineup is is phenomenal. So anybody who's listening to this episode, if you haven't gotten a ticket, I, I urge you, if you're in the area, like I said, go ahead get a ticket. Check all this stuff out. You know, it's a lot of good stuff here. So and you can also get you can you always have an online right now that like uh, <clears throat> for Sunday, which is exactly the same as Saturday, mm -hmm. we'll have an online version. And right now, I have about a. Uh, eight or nine filmmakers that are, will be available for Q&A after different oh, awesome. meetings. So, yeah, yeah, either way, whether live, which we would prefer, obviously it's more exciting, but if you cannot make it online, you'll be able to still join the filmmakers and be, be part of the discussion. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're, we're coming up on our time here, but uh, one, right. of, one of the things that I like to do with uh, everybody that is on the show, so we, we've gone through covered quite a bit of ground here, you know, in the, in the, yeah. the first kind of topics that sci-fi provides and um, the different kinds of things uh, that entail making films and putting film festivals together and everything. Um, so before we head out, uh, I just want to see, is there anything that you would like to plug? Is there anything um, besides the festival that you're working on or any, any hints of, of the, the next festival that you're, you're getting into or, any of that sort of kind of thing or well we do we do other, you know jonathan may have may or may not have mentioned that we do another festival every year which is the philip k dick festival film festival mm -hmm. that's that's not until 2024 so this is a nice little uh, uh in between uh, uh in addition i think you're writing a book actually on sci-fi on uh, uh i've been toying around with the idea of for some time and because I think sci-fi is at this richest stage right now in our lives where sci-fi is something that that can really help us understand the reality we're living in or through. It's not just entertainment. And I think sci-fi heads are much more uh, uh, adapted in the evolutionary scale than those who never always hated sci-fi because they're, you know, unfortunately, they're the ones who have to adapt really quickly. Things are changing so rapidly. Yeah. 
you either can run and come back to the case and never see the light, or go out there and be understand the you know the pros and cons. So I would definitely uh, encourage uh, any filmmaker who's interested in learning more about this uh, to just join us uh, either live coming Saturday, March 25th, or uh, online Sunday, March 26th, and you'll be providing the links. That there you go. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dan, for coming on the show and talking about all sorts of kind of things, science fiction and horror. And uh, we're looking looking forward to this film festival. And like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll put any of the other uh, notes for the film festival and links and everything like that down in the description. And we'll uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again and see you next year. Fantastic, generic. Uh, you know, thanks for having me. And really, I look forward to uh, meeting you maybe in, in person one of these days as well. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Generic Podcast. If you're not going to be in the New York area in time for this film festival, don't fret. Uh, like we discussed earlier, this event will be held online as well for those who can't make it to the live show. Um, so check it out Saturday, March 25th in person at the Producers Club Theaters in Manhattan if possible. But if not... Sunday, March 26th, uh, they will have a live showing with some Q&A as well. So go ahead, check it out, get your tickets now, and uh, yeah, until next time, keep being the amazing people y'all are.